Hey everybody, what's going on? It's episode 135, Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. Uh, tonight we've got James Finnerty of Rewind Electric, and uh, James makes awesome pickups and also wrote a book called uh, Gibson PAF Humbucking Pickup from Myth to Reality. Make sure you guys check out that book. We'll be talking about it tonight during the show. Um, James, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Um, I should just say to both of you, first off, uh, it's a great honor. You know, I probably have no place here and guests among uh, Jakey Lee and Bob Rock and, you know, <laughs> uh, all the wonderful folks you've had on. But I, I sure appreciate you, including uh, James from the desert who plays with pickups along with all these heroes of mine. Hey, man. Thank that, thank you. No, I, I, that's awesome. Appreciate yeah, where, where are you located, James? Uh, so I'm in like the very southwest corner of Utah. So I'm about 20 minutes from both Arizona and Nevada. I'm about two oh. hours east of Las Vegas. Is okay. Six hours south of Salt Lake. I'm much closer to Vegas. So I'm at uh, just the opposite end of the Mojave from you. Oh, cool. That's a cool area. I've never never been. I mean, I've been to Vegas, but it's it's similar. It's it's ever so slightly cooler, but not much. It, it's about the same temperature. But I'm How also yeah, but I am 20 minutes away from the mountains, so I can stand under a palm tree, sipping a drink, wearing shorts, and I can see the snow on the mountains. And if I want to go play in it, it's only 20, 30 minutes away. I I prefer that much more than shoveling it off my truck, as used to be the case in uh, Colorado Springs and then back on the East Coast where I'm from. Right, right. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I used to live in, in the Northeast, so... Uh, oh wow! Someone said I, I'm looking fit. I'll take it. Thank you. I'm alive. I'm alive. So <laughs> that that that's a, a good start. Um, any relation to Pat Finnerty? Someone wants to know. I don't know. I mean, my middle uh, name is Patrick. Maybe. So I'm related to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who Pat Finnerty is, but no, I don't know. So. Well, that's awesome. Hey, let's uh, before we get started, let, we want to talk about our sponsor, uh, Sweetwater. And Sweetwater is one of the sponsors of our show. We are we have an affiliate link if you click in the description below the video. So if you click on that and purchase anything, then we get a little kickback from them, a little commission. Um, also, I'd like to uh, share my screen if I can, um, and go to this page right here that you guys can see make sure you check out sweetwater's guitar gallery um really why would you buy any guitar anywhere else um sweetwater has a 55 point inspection so uh if you guys have ever bought a guitar from sweetwater if your guitar doesn't arrive it with all of these things checked off and and perfect then you know contact them and they will to con they will take care of you so uh and then you click here and you can shop their guitar gallery um and really see all their guitars and all, all the different um categories of electric guitars acoustic guitars bass guitars whatever you want to buy from them um they do so, great pictures also yeah exactly that's the other thing so if you wanted to click on say any particular brand of guitars 
uh let's check out eight string guitars because i you know uh, that's going to be my next thing i'm going to start playing eight string guitars just all right kidding. i'm just totally kidding i don't have enough <laughs> are you gonna go are you gonna go for uh this black shit black color or are you gonna go for the green <laughs> uh i don't know what i'm going for <laughs> I, couldn't, I, I couldn't play for either one of these but you get to see the, the the point though like they take pictures really great pictures of the guitar that you the actual guitar that you're getting yeah so, it has a serial number exact serial number of the right. exact guitar you're getting so that's right. a real nice draw see the weight yeah. and everything that's cool yeah exactly. exactly well they try to give you all the details since you're you're not an in-person buyer you know, and uh, and that's great. I'm not making you pickups for that, Mark. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be. I think that would be kind of tough. But here, like, I mean, when when you start talking about expensive guitars, right? Um, and you really want to look at the top that you're getting. What's that top going to look like when I get it at home? You know, that's that's important. At least sure. for. You know, like you want to get good angles on it and understand, you know, what it's going to look like. So, yeah, uh, you guys check out check out Sweetwater's uh, guitar gallery. OK. So just wanted to mention that and then also check out fixpedalboards.com. Uh, our friend over at fixpedalboards.com is Tim and he's got all kinds of upgrades for your pedal boards. And the new junk boxes are out, which are, well, junction boxes. Oh, gotcha. They're just called junk box, though. Junk box two, four, six, uh, you know, stacked, all sorts of things for your pedal board interface needs, you know. Super cool. Really, cool. Dura really durable and well done. Good stuff. I have to check it out. I think I looked at it last time. I can't remember. Yeah, I think they were up last time, but... I know for a fact the circuit boards are there and they're actually making them. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Cool. Very good. Um, all right, cool. Well, thanks uh, to Sweetwater and, and to Tim over at Fixed Pedal Boards. Make sure you guys check them out. Thank you, right. Tim. And James. Yes, sir. So, Rewind. Um, when did you start Rewind? When did that business start? Uh, February 2012, I registered the name. So I, it had been uh, something I was tinkering around with a little bit. That's and a good name. I was going to say, I was about to say that. It's a very good name. Do you, do you want to know the stupid, simple truth of where that came from? Sure. You got a broken pickup. What do you Google? Rewind, Rewind. electric guitar pickups. Yep. Yeah. Nobody knew who I was, and I was the first two pages of Google for years. <laughs> And that's I got why I said it's a great name. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. <laughs> yeah, it really it, it worked out, and um, I think it it just kind of fits what I what I do in in all aspects of the various kinds of work, and whether it's you know guitars or amps or whatever. I'm sort of into the the older ways of doing things, so you know, rewind sort of isn't like taking you back to the past as well. I, not that yeah. I don't like modern stuff, but that's kind of the core, at least of the company image i think mm -hmm. yeah super cool yep yep you Very stole cool. it <laughs> so i uh i kind of fell into it accidentally I, i've worked with pickups but i've worked with 
musical instruments and electronic sound of all sorts for a long time uh, through different dealers, through studios, uh, as tech and engineer. Um, I worked for a vintage collector up in New York for a while, worked for a couple um, really skilled luthiers, which had two very different backgrounds between the two of them. So uh, the pickups was something that I just was kind of, I tried doing it for myself as I was buying stuff and not really finding what I wanted, having, I'd been exposed to all these very nice instruments um, throughout those different positions I'd worked in, whether it was in stores or studios or whatnot, I got to be around and handle all these really cool sounding guitars. And I sort of had a personal draw towards old Gibsons and I wasn't really finding what I wanted in modern instruments and modern electronics. And it wasn't that it wasn't close and that there wasn't a lot of great options out there, but it just wasn't quite what I had in my, my spoiled memory from playing that stuff. So I started just kind of thinking, you know, I have uh, some coil wanders that I was doing stuff like, like little inductors and microphone transfer, little audio transformers with, and I'm kind of a mechanically and electrically inclined person. I was like, well, why don't I just try it? You know, how, how hard can it be? Well, I mean, it can be pretty hard, I guess, but <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I built a few pickups that I was moderately happy with. And I, I sent them to my buddy, Jordan, who um we used to work together at a music store and he um he and i shared similar tastes in music and he had moved to texas um we hadn't worked together in a few years but i said hey you know i'm kind of liking these what do you think and he's a really good player much better player than i am i was like why don't you give him a spin and i didn't know it but he had uh he had married a woman who was a videographer and so he put together a, a video a couple and put them up on youtube and uh i started getting calls and or, or messages and emails at least saying yeah hey, uh, how much are your pickups i can't find them anywhere where's your website and you know after a, a few times of saying i'm sorry i i don't sell them i wised up and was like two hundred dollars and it, <laughs> it, it just kind of snowballed from there to be honest uh if i um i laugh because I, I look back now and i think something as simple as a transducer has held my interest for you know going to 12 years now and it's not really like me and i i usually have kind of a short attention span on things i'll i'll learn about a thing that i have on my plate a project something i'm interested in i'll, I'll dive in real deep but then i'll move on to the next thing when i'm done and kind of forget half of it so the uh the idea that something that i would have seen as a simple little transducer when i think back to myself 12 or 15 years ago there's no way i would think that i would be able to maintain doing something like that for so long but uh, i have and there is a pretty deep world out there when you get into that stuff and you start getting into the, the old ones and you know the gibsons like i said that was kind of my my first heart for this and uh McCarty era Gibson 12 years, years into it never continues to uh, they're never short on surprises. Even now uh, I'm, I'm finding something new when I, when I open one up after yeah. studying them for so long, there's uh, no two are alike. <laughs> that's, that's true. You know, there, I mean, there's trends there's, you might have more likely to see <clears throat> this feature or that feature at this time or that time, but 
you know, then something comes along that just throws you off. I found uh, an A3 magnet in a early T-top. You know, that's sure. kind of unusual. And one, one of the real, you know, the early P90 magnets with one ground flat. And it's like, you know, the, that, the, that the stuff happens. <laughs> mag magnets got mixed up. They ran out of magnets that day. Uh, let's just shove this in. Mm -hmm. I found uh, a work, a, a layer pattern that I'd never seen before. I think it was last year and they were machine winding. So that is kind of unusual. It was, it was original factory soldered cover. Um, mm -hmm. So to find something that had a, a pattern I hadn't seen before was kind of exciting for me. And you know, that's, if you're the kind of dork I am, that's a pretty neat thing to say. <laughs> like, hey, they only had so many machines and those machines were only capable of so much. So like, you know, why, why is this one like standing out unusually from the others? But, oh yeah you see the pictures you see the pictures of the paf lines where the it's like all the wires bunched up on one side of the coil or or it's hollowed in the middle it's like a u or it's or like a mountain in the middle and <laughs> mm -hmm. you see that a lot in like the cbs era fender pickups too oh, i sure. think i think some of that is because the bobbins not being injection molded like paf bobbins were assembled out of two pieces of four bond and the magnets and and then lacquer dip. So there's more chances for them to not sit quite right on the machine. And if you have the machine throwing the wire back and forth this distance and the bobbin sits that same distance in the middle, that's great. But if the bobbin sits off to the side, then it all piles up in one place and you get a pattern that looks kind of like a like a chess piece pawn where there's a, a big right, right. funnel shape on one side and then a lump near the other side and then it falls off and some of those sound really good. The uh, best Stratocaster I've ever heard had three distinctly different pickup coil shapes like that. And it was a 65, so machine wound. But um, yeah, and I copied them. And I, I I was able to replicate, you know, at least some of that sound from it. It, sure. it had a lot of those characteristics. And so those weird little accidents um, turned out to be uh, some real gems sometimes. Not all the time but certainly sometimes interesting. Yeah. The, but I was going to say they're accidents, but they're happy well, accidents. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many different kinds of magnets were in PAFs? Sizes and kinds. Yeah. Well, I, th I think that's actually kind of hard to, to quantify because you can say, yeah, there's Alnico two, three, four, five. There's an oriented five. There's ones that were about 2.3 inches and ones that were about 2.5 inches. Right. But they didn't all come from the same place. They weren't all made at the same time. And so they weren't all made in the same way. So mm -hmm. you, you almost can say countless, yeah. even though there's really only so many grades. Because, okay, well, this, this is, it's an A5, but it's different than all these other A5s because it came from a different time period, a different batch. It was cast differently. Maybe the heating and cooling cycles varied a little bit. Also, it's a little bit shorter and it didn't get charged quite as much as that other one so you've really got a lot of variables just within like something as small as that right yeah and then you brought up charging mm -hmm. the all these magnets what were they charged to and yeah. what they are today versus what they were you know it's that's also you know different and it will radically change the sound i will um i, I may butt heads with some of my colleagues on on that one because i've definitely found a lot of magnets that were charged 
not to full strength. But I did an experiment over seven years where I took original Gibson bar magnets from P90s and PAFs, and they ranged in date from 1941 to 1979. And I measured them as received. So when they came to me in the guitar or pickup or whatever it was that I bought that I took them out of, and then I measured them charged to saturation at full strength. And then I separated them from each other and <clears throat> stored them in a garage for well, seven years eventually. But I measured them initially after a day, after three days, after a week, after two weeks, and then after a month, and then you know, just periodically. And and what I found was they weren't all full strength necessarily when I got them. Most of them were were pretty close. Most of them really were. But over the course of those seven years, the the drop in the strength of the magnet that was significant all happened within the first couple of days. After that, it was almost not measurable. It, it was a really small drop off. Hmm. So it's not, at least in you know this limited experiment of there's only a couple dozen magnets. Um, but at least in that experiment, it's not like like a water tank with a hole in it that's just constantly leaking. Yeah, you know it. It, it, it may may change a little bit, but that first change or that that early change is really the significant one. And then mm -hmm. I found them to be pretty pretty steady. And I've done tests with with impact. You know, if you drop your guitar, the magnet's going to be come degaussed. Probably not not in a fall like that. You know, maybe Les Pauls when when he was in a car accident. You know, that was an impact. Yeah, that, that could have degaussed the magnets. Um, leaning them up against the back of a speaker cabinet. Uh, I don't measure a whole lot of magnetic strength. Even if you take something like, say, say like a JBL D120 or a G12H, a Celestion, a, you know, ceramic magnet with the big magnet. Outside the cabinet, on the side of the cabinet or the back of the cabinet, right behind the magnet, magnetic charge diminishes very quickly with airspace. And that little amount of airspace of a few inches or whatever is enough that you're really not measuring a whole lot more right outside the cabinet with the meter right up against the back of the cabinet than you are in just the ambient atmosphere of the world and our magnetic stuff that happens around us poles of the earth and you know it, it's it's pretty weak there now setting a guitar on top of you know something like that 72 super lead over there where you've got the transformers cooking like yeah, maybe. I don't know. I haven't measured that, but I know if you put <clears throat> like if I if I if I put the power station within close proximity in the right distance and orientation to one of those amps that's uh, full throttle, there can be some interaction between the two. You might have to say. Sure. So I know I know the fields are significant and they're they're throwing around a lot of power there. It, it would be neat to measure that, but I haven't. Interesting. You can stick in one lane here with pickups. That's fine. <laughs> That's funny. Um, we have a question. James, what's the earliest Gibson humbucker you've taken apart? Humbucker? Well, 1957. There might have been something in 56, but I haven't gotten to it. Gibson pickup, um, 1941. Uh, fairly long uh pickup it, it looked like it actually was hand wound um orientation very similar to 
uh, a P90 or the pickups you might see in the, the lap steels or the jazz boxes before that, where they were steel slugs down the center rather than screws, mm. but still magnets pointing towards each other underneath them, the field kind of wrapping around. And it was uh, made out of um, not, not phenolic, the, uh, the tortoise shell material, like uh, you would see on a, a precision base pick card um, celluloid. And so that had all shrunk and, it was one piece on the top and then another piece wrapped around kind of like binding. And so that had shrunk and cracked and separated. Then the top sort of shrunk and flipped up around the edges. Uh, it was salvageable, but cool. I've seen, I've seen others that were not, and they needed to have a new piece cut out of, you know, like replica tortoise shell or whatever, which doesn't quite look the same, but it's right. still saleable. All right. Here's one favorite PAF that you ever had your hands on. Oh man, like what's and what were the song? specs of it? You know, just for for what? Like I'm gonna. It depends, Dave. It depends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, someone oh. used it on me. Look at that. <laughs> it depends for what application. So, I've got a set of 59s, and one of my favorite Les Pauls over here that are what you would expect. They've got stronger magnets. Um, they've got hotter coils. They're fairly balanced coils. The wire was a little bit thinner and uh, they're a big woody, chewy kind of sound. Now that's a great sound. If you're going for that, I'm not going to say Warren Haynes, but it, it is like in that direction. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, I also like some of the later ones where it's a little bit lower output, a five magnets, low round coils, uh, wire was a little bit different too and, and different steels and those have they've taken a step in the direction of a t-top it's kind of a linear progression towards that end of yeah, the got weaker yeah you just get a uh like a nice jangly crisp top end but not harsh and brittle like a lot of modern stuff but uh, a nice open breathy clear crisp top end a good pick attack whether it be on the upper strings or if you're doing some some chunky palm beauty stuff a nice little compressed tightness there i i like those too describes a t-top very well mm -hmm. and i think that the the end of the era pafs and then the transitional pickups that you might call paf bobbin patent number decal humbuckers you should really have a shorter name for those and we just call them like I don't know, whatever, but they, they, um, there's some similarities there. I think a lot of times, honestly, like those last PAFs, the patent number decals, there's still variants there and there's still variants in the T-tops, but it's becoming less variants by that point. And they really sound more like T-tops than they do those earlier ones, especially like the, the first PAFs that are, that are, uh, you know, often a three magnets and a, a very kind of like a, like a mic bloomfield super sessions or a uh, mm. uh like a like a fogarty's original gold top kind of clarity to it they they have they they actually sound a lot like the p90s of that time where they have something that's like a a jangle but not in a t-top way more and like what you'd get is a jangle in a like a steel string martin dreadnought that that kind big, of topic. big telly big telly yeah big telly big blackguard telly mm -hmm. early telly with the a3s not the not not like Don Rich, but like Roy. Well, Roy Buchanan is a yeah. little bit like Danny the big Gatt fat or, telly, which is actually very similar to like a P90 or something. If you want to, hmm. 
Well, in this, when you think, especially if you take that like, pickup out of the bridge, I think the the actual steel bridge on a Telecaster has a lot to do with that sound too. Sure, you, you can take that pickup out and mount it in like a ring and a Les Paul, and it it sounds like its own thing, but it doesn't sound like a Tele anymore. No, the the the, bra- the brass saddles on the steel. Um, yeah, that too. Stamped bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes, all that, that adds up. Bit, that's a sound. I think so, for sure. Yeah. And so Fender still makes those. Apparently, per their factory tours, those those dies that stamp those bridges are in uh, Corona, and they've got them up there on a shelf. And you see the the race in Olmstead dies that they were using back then. I guess they're <laughs> still stamping some of that stuff. I think the pick guards too, although they're vinyl now. But yeah, it's it's cool to see that stuff still in action. <laughs> Absolutely. What's the uh, what's the hottest PAF? That, ah, a, that you've ever that you've seen of. here we are dc Vintage. resistance was bound to come up oh yeah so, <laughs> of course so hottest the hottest um the hottest that i've seen are we talking millivolt output which matters or are we talking dcr which doesn't matter <laughs> in a very okay simple, since most people do way you could say you might have not uncommon an 8.5 K ish reading 1957 PAF with an a three magnet, which is very weak. And then you have a, a T top that reads 7.1, 7.2 with an a five magnet that is much stronger. The output is going to be a lot stronger in that T top. Yeah. The, the, the physical output of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now hotter coils, just how many turns you see on the coils. If you want to, break it down to that way you see them more in the late 59 kind of early 60 at least i have i got a, some spreadsheets where i chart this stuff and you, and you do sort of see trends but then there's oddball stuff too you know you see random things i saw a patent number decal pickup that read over 9k i, I have seen pfs that read over 9 not, it's not common i've mm-hmm. seen them that read under seven it, and a lot of it's just um not necessarily the turns but just the wire itself, the the official standard for a gauge of fine gauge magnet wire today, when you buy it, is four times tighter tolerance than it was in the 50s. And that's for the copper core thickness and the insulation thickness. So when you buy wire now, you buy it in half gauges, and then they split those half gauges into what they call minimum nominal or nominal maximum. So it's really a quarter gauge. They run the wire through the machine, through their dies, and, and they measure it. And then they say like, okay, this falls into this tolerance. This falls into that. Same as resistors and capacitors, as I understand. You know, That's why we get these weird like 3.3K, 2.7K, because they're, those numbers, as I understand it, you, I'm sure you know more than I do on that, Dave, were numbers where they can just make a batch of resistors and there's no duds because everyone falls into one of those ranges more easily. Is that about right? Yeah. Okay. So similar with the wire. You buy in wire that's four times a tighter tolerance now. So now it's easier to make pickups that are more consistent. Um, but back then, same 42-gauge wire, same machine running the same coil pattern, same turn counts. But you have a spool today and a spool tomorrow and a spool next month, and you might have quite different DCR. But the 
coils probably sound fairly similar to each other, despite that DCR change. In that case. Okay. There's a question here from Mark G. Why did people become fixated on DCR? Oh, I, I have a theory. I, I don't know, but it seems likely that two things, two things. One, it's probably the only tool, an ohm meter, a, D, a, meter, a multimeter that most guitarists have in their garage, in their truck, in their car, that they can measure anything at all about a pickup with. Mm. Yeah. Most people can't measure inductance or capacitance or magnetic gauss, and they can't have a test rig where you measure like a millivolt output, which is actually difficult to do too. And that's why there's no standard across the yeah. industry like there is with microphones and speakers, because it's like, you know, well, how, how many millivolts does this put out? Right, exactly. You can't have you, you know the only way you can inject the signal is to really strum the guitar. And if you're yep. strumming your guitar, the signal levels all over the place. Mm -hmm. You, you know. forget that. A lot of the studies that you see that are done testing pickups are done with an induction coil. That's great. If you don't care about testing the magnet, you only care about testing the coils. But that's the thing is if you test a pickup with an induction coil and you take the magnet out of that pickup while you're testing it. The pickup still works. <laughs> you take the yeah, magnet like, like, out of a pickup in a guitar, it no longer works. <laughs> there's a there's a system of interaction there with, that involves the magnet and the strings and the steel parts of the pickup. So when you start doing these tests with induction coils, you're not measuring everything. You're measuring a piece of it. It's not to say that there's no value in that, but it's it's not a complete test, and that's why there is not a standard. Like when you buy a microphone, you look at the back of the polar pattern, the charts, or you buy a speaker and you look at the frequency response graphs. That's why there isn't that for pickup manufacturers. It's not that we're lazy or haven't come to terms on it. It's that it depends. Like like so much. Yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is, yeah, it, exactly. Steve Blucher said to me a long time ago, he goes, yeah, DCR makes no difference whatsoever. Don't even look at it. It's it's That's why DiMarzio doesn't list their DCR, really. The the um and you know and it, it you know it'll depend on what magnet so you can take the same coils and el nico 2 el nico 3 el nico 4 el nico 5 el nico 8 with the same coils but they'll have different outputs they will so output levels signal level and how that... hard it hits your amp to explain that simply mm -hmm. um, exactly and that, that leads into my, my second of the two part. The first part of why DCR, I think, is prominent is because it's the only thing most people can measure. The other part is because the first aftermarket pickups were probably the uh, popular, at least, the super distortions. And so you had these pickups that all of a sudden, like, oh, these read like 13, 14K, and they have high <laughs> output. And I, and I think that that association was just made and and intentionally marketed as well by by some um you know this is like the hot pickup more more power for your live sound and you know stage volume and so, and so that dcr to output association was made but the truth is a super distortion doesn't really have any more wire on it than a, a paf or a t-top it's that it's a smaller gauge of wire the ceramic it, magnet it's a ceramic magnet. That is the output. If you take a low reading 7K T-top and a 14K super distortion and you swap the magnets between the two, the T-top is the high output pickup and the super distortion is the low output pickup. It's all the magnet there. The turn counts are actually extremely close to where it almost doesn't matter. 
the DCR is just a matter of the wire gauge used on one from the other. Hmm. But that's not to say that you can't play with the DCR and also get more output. <laughs> yeah, the, the two can operate together <laughs> or independently. You put an Alnico 2 magnet in a pickup, it's going to seem weaker mm -hmm. and sweeter, but you can up the DC on it a little bit and kind of it's a teeter-totter sort of, you know. You can raise the turn counts and that will inadvertently raise the dcr mm -hmm. yeah so that they they can operate together like that and you could probably touch on it more than i could on this dave is that also the loading of the amp at least if you're going direct in and not through a buffer your dcr is going to have an impact on the front end of that amp sure how how what load is on the pickup mm-hmm just what 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 load is presented to the right the input of the amplifier what pot in your guitar <laughs> what value pot in your guitar even if it's a 500k pot let's say is it a 500k pot oh yeah that could be a 350k <laughs> pot that could be a 400k pot that could if be if it's a center lab it could be a meg and a half <laughs> you know it could be a million different things and then you're paralleling that into a one meg input impedance on an amp. But if you stick a an old uh, vintage wah in between that wasn't a true bypass, then that's a whole different load. Again, it's dropping the load and then it's changing the output of your pickup. And it's a teeter totter. It's a big ass teeter totter in all sorts of directions. It's it's a giant bowl of it depends. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, when when this when the you know when the uh, Eddie Van Halen thing came up too, I have I have another little theory. Oh, I'm uh, happy to talk about that stuff. I love it. I love hearing yeah. you talk about it. You know, no one really talks about this, but okay. So, say the original pickup was you know out of his three thirty five, like he said, and it probably was. Um. Who knows what that it was exactly? Who knows what magnet was in it exactly? Probably have an idea roughly. But so he hobbles these guitars together. Do you think he really thought about what pot he was putting in it? No, the one within reach, I would guess, and just based on yeah. his experience. So was that out of a strat or was it out of a Les Paul? Yeah, who knows? Because the wasn't the original, well. Not the original, but there were there were parts of both in that guitar. Yeah, I mean, there, there, you know, it stemmed from a Fender originally, and and, and if you have a three thirty five that's not working, you've got four five hundred k pots there. But if you're putting together a, yeah, yeah, who who really or were they, or were they three hundred k pots? So yeah. so what pot did he grab off the table to put in the guitar? Right, and, and he changing the pot on a stringy PAF sounding pickup changes a lot. And it's not just high frequency. It changes to, for me. No, it's it, not. It changes yeah. something in the high mids too. Like, yep. and it's more uh, like a cover when you get into those lower pots, you get a kind of like a, a, a higher hump at the resonant peak. It, right. Exactly. A higher hump at the resonant peak. And, and it comes across as a, in a similar way, I think to a cover and you almost get like this kind of like cool, like metallic, 
plink. There's some sweetness there. It's not it's not just a mid boost like you get on an EQ. It's some. Mm -hmm. It didn't. I, I tried the experiment of putting a two two fifty k pot in my seventy eight guitar, and and I have a PAF style type pickup in there. It, it, I didn't like how it sounded. I think it, it would be it probably sounded, dark. It sounded, but... Yeah, it did. It didn't sound good. I I liked it better with the uh, the five hundred k pot personally. It sounded. But how hot is that pickup? Oh. Um... That's wound hotter, isn't it? Isn't that what's in that guitar? Fralin? No, actually. Uh oh, that's the one that I did. That was the Duncan Custom, which is a hotter pickup, actually. With a with a hotter pickup, I would tend to think that it would not sound good at all. Mm -hmm. It sounded horrible. <laughs> but yeah. with a weaker stringy pickup. Mm. Or ceramic. Or slightly offset. A ceramic in a lower value pocket would know. be a cool combination. One of these days, Michael Nielsen's going to do this video after if I ever wire his pick guard for him. You know, That's like with with this topic, it's fun to dive deep. But one thing that I, I try to keep in mind that I brought up a number of times is that we we know on that first album there were more than one guitar. They had different pickups. Sure, but the, the but the differences don't sound. It doesn't sound like it's, oh yeah, obviously this is so much different. It still sounds like Ed. Sure, yeah. There's a consistency through it. Now, the first album <laughs> to the second album is, you know, there's a bigger difference there. But is that, you know, is that Ted Teppelman? Is, is that Ed? Like, I don't know. You probably know more than I do. Second album is my favorite anyway. I I like a lot of it. I like both. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think if I, yeah, I don't want to have to choose. I'm glad we don't have to choose. We don't have to choose. Yeah. I'm not gonna no, we don't it. have to choose. <laughs> you know, the most important part is none of us had his fingers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. You know, it's just it, the, the second album is drier. There's not as much reverb. It doesn't it doesn't have as much ambience, I think. It's so, way more natural sounding. And, yeah. And to me, the whole band sounds better as a whole, meaning the drums sound better. The, the bass yeah. sounds better. Oh, that's for and sure. And the guitar to me sounds like the amp's going to just explode. That's what I like about it. Mm. I like that sound. There, there is a nice cut and a crispness to the sound on the first one, too, though. And he hated that. Yeah, I've heard you say that. He wasn't yeah. really a fan. But he also he hated the first record. Did was he ever happy with his sound? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah probably not. Just the way he like chased sound. <clears throat> yeah. 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 True. So he was uh, happy with it after you worked on his amp, right? Uh he was happier than he'd been in 20 years with it. Well, that's so I I'll I'll take that. Yeah, really. I mean, that's quite an impressive that. statement. That's I'll right. take that. So what amps do you have behind you? Okay. Um, here, Marshall. Let me pull out a little bit. <laughs> so this is going to be pre-Zounds Marshalls. So they're going to be pre-Zounds. Oh, pre <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all pre-Zounds. <laughs> They've gone up substantially now. That you know, they're, On the top is a a 60 basement, but the cab's not original, but the, the speakers and the, the iron and all the guts are. Hmm. This is a 60 oh hold on one second here i just had a i just got a refueling um, <laughs> uh 67 twin reverb uh blackface 66 super reverb nice. this was this was my first fender and this was the shop amp one of the shops i mentioned that i, I worked at for a little while 
and it, it was just like a known amp it was such a great sounding amp and i was so pleased when um the guy who worked there who owned it retired and called me to say like okay i actually will sell this to you because it was one of those things where like hey if you ever sell it if you ever sell it if you ever sell yeah. that and that stuff doesn't usually work out and one day he no. called me he was like you still want it yeah i do and so i got that and i got he i also got it at the same time from him um an echoplex ep3 Ooh. with a handwritten letter from mike battle who had serviced it the inventor of wow saying jay you've got such a wonderful example here you, i'm so happy to, to have something that sounds this nice come back and know that they're out there like please keep it forever <laughs> so that was a cool treat um but to continue with the tour there's a 69 twin reverb with jbl d120s there that is, that's the amp i use most in working with pickups because it's extremely revealing you think <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's extremely clean and clear, but it still it still sounds like a guitar amp and not a not a PA amp. Um, and, and it just the, you you can't hide anything behind that. The feel that you can understand from playing a pickup through that amp or guitar or whatever you put into it um, comes through better than I think anything else in the room. Uh, below is a '68 um, Super Reverb. <laughs> And that one I got because the, <coughs> the 66 has the CTS speakers in it. And I wanted to try the Almicos. And I so I got that one. And then I realized that the amps themselves, independently of the speakers, also sound significantly different enough that I, I just decided to keep them as they were. I thought they were. Um, that one is a 71 Super Lead. Uh, it's actually a, it's a leader. It's a bass it's a factory conversion so the back panel is printed base the inspection tags printed base but it has like the little gold foil sticker lead over it and uh it yeah the the uh, turrets on the board were originally positioned for base so it's a factory conversion i guess you'd say mm -hmm. but, but, and it's got the date stamps that tag is actually pretty clear so it has the, the date stamps to show it went back in like 73 and 74 so i guess whoever got it was taking it in for maintenance and whatnot mm. uh with those cabs are pulsonic cone g12h 55s um the and that's my like big chewy kind of marshally sound although maybe yeah i might like to talk to you about that one sometimes that it's got a little something to it that i'm not thrilled about but uh 67 super lead and this is awesome for like new wave of british heavy metal 70s rock it, it has a nice crispness to it i really like it in a lot of ways um and that's both of those cabs are g12 m's uh the lower one is pulsonics and then the upper one are 74 creambacks and that that was chris Marin's cab um which he put the creambacks in it weird enough and i i liked it i bought it for the speakers and then decided i just kind of like it so i i I had to replace two of the speakers, hmm. but I replaced them with originals, matching codes. And behind the mic. Oh, am I too far? Can you guys hear me okay? I was over yeah. here. I heard you. Okay. Um, this is kind of mics in the way, but there's a, uh, there we go. That is a uh, Landry LS50. And I think that one's number two. So cool. That was a very early one. I know you guys had Bill on. Mm -hmm. And, 
that amp is unlike any other amp I've, I've ever played um, inside and out. It's an amp that I bought when I was in my last band. So I bought that amp as a performer to do a lot of things at once. We covered a lot of ground. It wasn't a cover band, but we had a kind of a range of styles and sounds we did. And there was some heavier stuff, but it was a female vocalist. So I wanted a lot of, you know what that amp edged out by like an inch. And I, I regretted at the time and I only got it because I was in a band. But the other thing that I had considered when I bought that at the New York amp show was a Marsha. Oh, wow. yeah. Long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And, um, in, in many ways, the Marsha would have been better for me, but in that one band, I needed to do more stuff. And yeah. It came through. Uh, but I've kept it and I've messed around with it a little bit um, with Bill's help. He sent me some different caps and was like, try this here, try that there and change this. And I put a, um, a bypass for the negative feedback and I put a second bright cap on one of the gain stages. So you can kind of dial in like which, which gain knob you have up or down. If you're using more or less bright cap, but still have the same amount of gain, which I think is actually a pretty fun feature there. Mm. Um, but I don't, it, it's really not an amp I use a lot now cause I'm, I'm not playing out. I use this other stuff mostly as references cause I, I, I want to have standard sounds as I'm working with pickups. If somebody sends me a guitar to do voicing or if I'm building something, I want to have like, you know, like, okay, this is that thing and it works this way with it. Mm -hmm. So it's more in the interaction there. And then I've got a pig early, nose, early pig nose. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. The, the tuner sitting on top of a, a 57 champ and a wide panel deluxe there. And then there's a there's an ultra linear twin. So there are a couple other marshals above the fenders in the back of you. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. So um the lower one there is uh it's a 59 HW. Okay. So that one I bought uh when guitar shows were still a thing. And so that was the one to go out and just be like the standard sound that people could be familiar with of the Plexi, but also something that they might've heard at a guitar center or whatever, just to be familiar with it and something that I wasn't worried about. I mean, you know, those things don't get locked up at night. They just sit out in the booth. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't, wasn't really interested in bringing out the, the originals that I love so much. And then above that is a chassis that is an amp uh, I'm building. I'm building three of them now. Uh, that one, I got a, I got a set of original, uh, iron. So a lay down transformer and an, out, an output transformer oh, cool. and, and a choke from, from 68. Right. And I've been monkeying around with, you know, those guys over time and sort of trying to find what I like and, you know, chasing the, uh, the plexi sound, chasing, right. chasing, uh, one, two, three, oh, one sound. Right. I know <laughs> a little bit about that one. I know you do. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I, I decided to kind of start building them. So I, I, the original iron came to me after I had started. I was going to build two different versions of a uh, a twelve series. Um, one kind of like an earlier, pretty much stock parts, and then one sort of going more for specifically a, an Ed thing. And then I got the vintage iron, so it turned into three builds. Um, <laughs> one one cool thing that. I, that came as a result of those builds was that uh, uh, Rewind 
teamed up with um are you familiar with brian sours sour sound yeah sort of i think he is like known for tape echoes like space echoes and echoplexes and stuff and, they, and he built some amps and now he's just doing transformers so he does rewinds and, and replicas and I, I think he's probably got a, a more of a reputation in the tweed world mm-hmm. but he um he was willing to build something for me and so um right now we're in the process of getting this out there and uh he's doing a a lay down 100 watt power transformer for me that has an extra tap and i know that we've seen like extra b plus taps before i wanted to do it a different way i wanted a, a separate primary tap oh yeah that's how yeah that's how sir does it that's how is that right that's how so, so i'm that, doing it on a new amp that's how um is that right that's how we used to do it um with on the metro friedman that i made with george metropolis okay so you put your you were doing it as, as basically a variac thing but yeah on the so primary? basically you get instead of 120 volt you get 150 volt tap yeah it's just to emulate a, a well it's actually input. you can add one at the bottom of the ladder so it it can work for any any voltage that you have set okay i i didn't know that was a thing but yeah i kind of fell into that by um yeah because the the important thing about that is is having the the heaters drop yep that's exactly where i came to that (laughs) the heaters is actually where the sound is yeah i i had seen i think like probably habo or not and others had like a separate b plus tap but i had been monkeying around haber's done them before (laughs) is that right and when i when i um when I lowered just the B plus, but kept the heaters at a steady voltage, I didn't really like it as much as when right. I just used a real variac and right. dropped the whole thing. Correct. So I was like, why, why don't we just do that? Just put a tap there. So yeah, that, yeah. No, that works great. That's in that's in the works. But he Brian's doing a really cool job. He's gone through and like examined the lamination materials. And he sent me photos of these like originals, like taken to pieces on his bench and had me measure voltages at nodes here and there under various loads. And it, like, well, yeah, but you know the 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 volt the for that twelve series amp that twelve oh three one amp. You want to see that that B plus? Well, say 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 the tubes are biased normally, and say you're at a normal one twenty watt wall voltage with mm-hmm. the heaters at six point three volts. Uh, meaning you set the variac so it's exactly. 6.3 volts on your heaters which is theoretically 120 uh well maybe not an original transformer but i did this with those those early transformers were basically you wanted to they were 460 to 470 volts dc with kind of a normal bias like a 35 milliamp bias or something i'm, I'm gonna try and pull up my chart real quick and see if i can i can read you my uh Got a little higher later. That 72 over there has just like ridiculously high voltage on it. And it, and at 120 volts, the heaters read 6.3. So it's not that I'm feeding it too hot, mm-hmm. but the plates on that are nuts. And I measured that and it, it was putting out nearly 140 watts. Yeah, it's probably like anywhere. From that's not what I'm going for for this build. I actually no, it's probably <laughs> anywhere from 480 to 500 volts. Yeah, it, it it is in that range. I have a chart for that somewhere too. If if we want to get into yeah. that, most all the early 70s amps were around 480. 
A little bit later, 74, 75, it, it got to be around 500. And it, it would just cook tubes. The only things that I could put in that are um, Blackburn Mullards or um, the Ruby BHTs it, it <laughs> would handle. But I wasn't really thrilled with the way they sounded. Yeah. So it's And I, I had something else in it. Um, might have been. I think I had SEDs in it, but they really just aren't like. I don't like them in Marshalls for that. Mm-hmm. Like they, yeah, they they might. I don't be cool. like them at all. Really, <laughs> never did. Yeah, I um, yeah, it's it's got Mollard Blackburn Factory XF2s in it now, and and I like that. And if it chews through them, whatever, life's short, you know. So be it. I was gonna say, good luck finding another another quad of those. Well, you can well, find them. There's another just expensive one. Oh, can you? It's expensive. <laughs> yeah, quite very expensive. Um, so Harmonicaster has a question. Uh, yeah, from super chat. Why have there been so few pickup designs since 1950s? EMG actives, lace sensors, and alumatones. Alumatones. Yeah. Larry Fishman fluences seem to be about it. Well, EMGs had a really good run, and they still do. But a lot of those others are kind of niche. There's not a huge market for it. You know, I could make some new design pickups that I think are cool and I think take aspects of things I've learned from vintage pickups and maybe mix them together and apply them to new ones. And almost nobody will buy them. It probably wouldn't pay for the tooling to do it. <laughs> probably. But what if about, I made a, what about a better gold? PAF replica, then that's that's what everybody wants. And and not for no reason. They sound There's some really great classic recordings and those pickups are very responsive and even... Even Gibson and Fender today can't recreate their old stuff. It's just like there is some really awesome qualities to a lot of these old pickups. Right. What about uh, gold foil pickups? They're a thing. They're not my thing, but they're a thing. Um, they're a little little thinner and weaker sounding. Um, they're they're the original, like the Tyscos, were not made to be repaired at all. They're riveted together. The bobbins are made out of paper soaked in glue. So when you repair them, it's it's very difficult. You're pretty much drilling it out and recreating the pickup minus the magnet and the cover. You're rebuilding the entire inside from the ground up. Mm. I don't do a lot of that. I've done some of that. I could say uh, Brandon Wound, I think, has a pretty good uh reputation for doing well with those uh, if, if somebody has one that they need worked on that that would probably be a quicker and more economical way to get it done than going through me i not that i couldn't do it gotcha yeah but it is interesting that there haven't been but you're right i mean for the most part there there could be a thousand different new pickup designs but will they sell there's a base company called Zon that made some really awesome high-end bases, and they had a pickup system called a LightWave. And the early ones were IR LEDs. I think they did move to lasers at one point, but in the saddles, they had a, a light shine across the string and a receiver on the other side of the string pick it up. And that was how they captured the sound. Huh. And what that kind of caught on to, it wasn't their initial designer intent, but they found that that was a much more accurate way to trigger a MIDI signal than the Roland Hex pickups because that light could actually calculate the note in one half cycle of a wave rather than where the Roland had to get a few cycles to count them and time them to 
then trigger it. So there was less latency with the Zon stuff. So, th I mean, there are, there have been some, that's a really awesome innovation in pickups uh, that was probably around 2009, 2008, something like that. Uh, most people no never cares. heard of it. Yeah, nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> most people never heard of it. Interesting. Um, so quick, yeah, uh, Enrico has a question, and I was curious when we were going to bring it up, so we might as well bring it up now. Uh, Dave, what are your thoughts on the Marshall family selling more shares as a fan and as a different manufacturer? So they, I think they sold, I mean, the company is now owned by Zounds, right? But yeah. They're still, they're still on the board, I think. They're still, I think, 24 or 5% share or something. That's what I um, read. It was a quarter share. Yeah. Um, quarter percentage. I I don't feel one way or another really. I, I um, Marshall stopped being Marshall years ago. I think. I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, really, what's the last thing that really resonated and did really well for them? You know, the JVM. Guess the JVM. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sure. Um, that fridge is pretty cool. <laughs> okay, yeah, the fridge is pretty good. I mean, you know, to be honest, I mean, so you know, the Bluetooth players were cool too. I mean, they 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 they, uh, they look cool, and you know, they worked. Uh, I I don't think they've really there hasn't really been guitar players running it for a long time. You know what I mean? So. Um, I know there was lots of stuff on the table. I know when Santiago was there, mm. but uh, I, it never come to fruition. I guess I know. Is I he know. back there? He was back, right? Yeah, I don't think he's there anymore, though. Again? Yeah. So, Shit. so I, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's. Uh, I, I think it's a hard. Uh, you know, you'd almost have to make the company smaller again. How do you do that? You know what? You, you know, you, you, you'd almost have to start over. Kitchen Marshall too. You know, I, I think they were kind of late to the game when you thoroughly think about it. You know, I think there were a lot of boutique companies that came about and, you know, came up with mo more modern features and stuff. And, you know, I mean, the JVM was really the first, you know, real multi-channel, more modern featured amp. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was an all tube signal pass, so that was cool. That was better than the stuff they'd been doing previous, you know. But that was that was, that was Santiago. The other amp that I, the only other amp that I've wanted, and I've looked on the used market. Maybe one day I'll pick one up. Is a uh, a vintage the vintage modern. Hmm. The vintage modern is it had some interesting concepts. Uh, a lot can be done with it. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. A guy who did some demo work for me had one of those. And when he changed from using that to using just a 59 hand wired, and then the other amp he was using was a, uh, oh, it's not a Dr. Dan. It's a, a rocket retro. Mm -hmm. And it just like his, it was such a massive improvement. I, I couldn't see myself wanting a vintage modern when you could maybe just put a, pedal up front or, or or like you said tweak it you could probably mm -hmm. do something with it I, there's something funny about it it just seemed oh yeah flat. yeah i don't know and and hey this that's just one experience with it 
So, you know, it could have been something else in his rig too. I got a bad impression of it though. Mm. It's probably just gas, my my gas for it, you know. <laughs> one of those. So um, I don't think with knowing what you own, I don't think you'd be that happy. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Cool. Yeah, I mean, as far as my my opinion, uh, it looks like Marshall's going to be going down the path of more lifestyle type of products. Sure. You know, um, I don't know Marshall sneakers. Um, Worked out for Gibson with Henry Jeskowitz. Yeah, that was great. Everybody loved the Firebird X. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, robo yeah. tuners are such a hit yeah that was, that was a huge hit that was a huge hit yeah i don't know i mean i wish him well and uh I, I mean absolutely i mean yeah do it but you know i don't think it would be interesting if someone came in and did something with it yeah so do you think number one is uh up for sale maybe there's another chance when you guys want to spot me a quick couple million couple yeah. <laughs> i think it's more than a couple probably huh yeah it's probably yeah yeah that's uh maybe keith richards would be interested <laughs> <laughs> um interestingly and is is seymour duncan a private company they're not they've never been bought out have they no i think they're they're still privately owned company yeah interesting that is interesting. Um, James, which pickup is your best seller, most popular over the last couple of years? Creme Brulee's, which is a an A2, um, 1959 style PAF, are continue to be very popular and have been. Um, they were one of the early ones I did. The Yeah, if you click on that, it'll scroll down through them find them there but uh the the paf ones are another set which are those are actually the the pickups i described earlier that are in this r9 over here is the kind of warmer chewier really woody sounding hotter coils um that's that's what the paf ones uh were made from and in fact the two pickups in that guitar come from two different es345s and the two pickups that were destroyed to make the paf ones are each of their partners so i took and they sound fairly similar the fact that they came out of two guitars is just kind of weird um or or irrelevant at least but i took my favorite two of the four and made that set and then kept the other two because i thought they sounded fairly similar and so those were my reference of like am i copying these well so i could have my work plus the original basically side by side at the same time those have been those have also been very popular so l let me ask you a question so I'm, I'm glancing at the website right now so i can't actually see your face <laughs> okay. um okay let's let's just go down your your lineup here you have a 57 paf mm -hmm. uh tell a short bit about that sure um and h150 um pedal steel is what that came out of it was a pre-decal mm -hmm. um and that 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 one pickup you can see featured pretty heavily in my book if anybody has that you'll find photos in there uh, of me taking that apart all the way down to the coils showing the wire and such and uh that that is very similar to that uh 
Mike Bloomfield or John Fogarty kind of sound I mentioned earlier, where there's a lot of a lot of that early '50s P90 A3 sound in that one. It, it has that that Martin steel string dreadnought jangle to it, and not like a new one, but like a '70s '60s Martin maybe, where it's a little bit it's big and full and super clear, and you get a lot of great detail on the lower frets of the wound strings, but it has a nice jangly top end, not not sparkly in a T-top way. Nice and nice and sweet jangle, I guess. That's got it. I, only, I only go three, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's a three. Fine. And I think a lot of and zero offset my, or near zero offset. Mm-hmm. And in, in my experience, that's fairly typical of those early PAFs was that they were using the um, the magnets for those P90s. I, I think a lot of the reason we see the magnets start switching up in that PAF era a lot um, is because of a physical fitment issue. This is just my theory. I try to be kind of clear on what's, you know, something I've discovered and something I'm just like theorizing on, but the P90 magnets that you see a lot in the fifties had, you know, it's a, it's got six sides. It's, it's a rectangular cube. They had one side ground flat, which is the, um, the South side on each magnet. And that's the side that touches the keeper bar of each magnet. And then the screws pass through that in the middle. And then, the north side of those magnets on the outside just face outward and don't touch anything and they're left rough so they were just machining one surface flat and that's what you see in most of the early pafs and then shortly after the pafs came about 58 ish you start seeing more different types of magnets and also that both sides are now machined flat because now in the new humbucker design that gibson had come up with that north side of the magnet now has to sit flat up against the slugs in the second coil that wasn't there to begin with so gotcha. my theory is that it was just a physical fitment issue they they were like ah these p90 magnets and it down they're not fitting too well in these humbuckers that we're making <laughs> now we have to get some new magnets that are ground flat and as a non-primary uh issue they got different types of magnets as well and i see those other magnets almost as if they're reserved for the p90 still so you still see those flat on one side magnets go all the way through 59 in p90s and sometimes later but primarily and then it seems to be about 1959 that the p90s also start getting the newer magnets and at that point a lot of them are a5s and so you get a lot of these p90s in 59 that have the magnets ground flat on both sides even though they didn't have to be and they also happen to be you know the stronger magnets of you know a5s and such mm. um just my theory but as i chart this stuff out and, and i get them in for repairs or whatnot like it it seems to flow that direction then you have a 1958 paf that's a very kind of hollow sound uh it is also an a2 paf but uh not as creamy and chewy and vocal in the mid-range as the creme brulees the, they're a little bit uh, more scooped in the mids and a little bit more hollow sounding. Mm-hmm. And then the creme brulee. And those are the thick, chewy, meaty, very vocal, uh, mid-range A259 style PAF. So uh, those would be the warmest of my lineup, um, although not at all dark or muddy. W- one thing that I keep in everything that I'm happy to put my name on is it's got to have that open breathy top end no matter how hot or thick the mids get i don't want it going out the door without that that's the thing that drew me into pafs to begin with 
And mm-hmm. so it, it has to have that. It, like it, it's just gotta have an open, airy, breathy top to it, no matter how chewy and thick it gets. Okay, then you got your 1959. The PAF ones? Yes. Yeah, and those are, I, I do them in an A4 and an A5 version. So the A4 version is going to have more mids and the A, and, and it's going to also be uh, tighter dynamics, broader dynamic range, a little bit more touch sensitive. The A5 version is a little bit more scooped in the mids, uh, crisper treble, tighter bass, um, nice for maybe heavier sounds, palm muting crisp leads and uh, where that a4 version is the kind of woodier sounding pickup we were talking about earlier okay so you covered the a5 and that one the, the, the of the 59 so then you go to the 1960 a2 pf mm-hmm. okay so a little bit lower output coils uh coils are getting a little bit more consistent by this time and that is a sound that i think uh it's sort of like a, a landmark PAF sound when things have started to tame down from the earlier PAFs. Things are getting a little bit more consistent. You're still seeing a mix of magnets, so I offer that one in an A2 and an A5. Uh, but there's a real nice metallic plink, kind of a very chirpy top end to mm. that, that that you get. And it's it's that, like, just as the PAFs just start to take a direct step in the direction of the T-tops that would come later. Still a PAF, but just taking a step there. And it has a nice sweet chirp to the top, uh, particularly in the A2 version. It has that, that kind of sweet softness to the upper notes on the, on the unwound strings. Uh, and then similarly to the A5 version of the PAF1, the A5 version of the 1960 is going to have less mids than the A2. It's going to have a little bit more output because it's a stronger magnet, crisper top end, tighter low end. And that one is actually, you could say it's a couple more steps in that direction of a T-top. Okay. Oh, it keeps going. <laughs> you're, you're, we're, yeah, there's, there's a few more. <laughs> 64 bad number decal humbuckers. Yeah, we need like a shorter range for this. Can we just call them like uh, cream pickups or like Eric Johnson's SG pickups? But yeah, that, that's what <laughs> that is. The uh, That is the sound that you would get in, in a pickup, like say like Eric Clapton's Cherry Red 64 335 or his SG of the same year, same pickups. Yeah. And they are that kind of hybrid between a late PAF and a T-top. They, they share qualities of both, kind of thicky, th- thicker and chewy, but still with that crisp top end to it, although not as jangly and bright as a T-top. And then, of course, we have the T-top, which is... Two kinds of T-tops there, um, an earlier and a later. So you're... you're oh, boy. You're, your earlier 68, I think is what I've called it, is a... That's uh, oh, a 72. The 72, okay. 72 would be uh, more like a like Jimmy Page's bridge after the change to the T-top. So you get mm-hmm. real real kind of spanky, bright, jangly thing going on there. The other T-top set is a little bit warmer and thicker. And there's not a lot of variety out there in T-tops. I really just have those two because I think that kind of covers the ground between you get the really lower output, brighter, spanky ones. And then the ones that had just a little bit more meat to them. JP pre seventy two. Yep, we go touching on it. So you're getting you're getting that seventy two T top, but with a mm. a a very unique neck pickup in that set. In that it is a hot neck pickup, both in the coils and in the magnet. It is a very bright pickup, also. So you get kind of a rare combination of hotter coils and also a very bright sound. Hmm. 
And uh, I mean, we all kind of know what, po- what... JP post 72. Oh, sorry. The preset is, is same neck pickup in both. Pre has the PAF and the bridge. Post has the T-top and the bridge. Exactly what it sounds like. In okay, 1972, got it, got it. Jimmy Page swapped that bridge pickup out from the PAF to the T-top for reasons uh, of probably nothing other than it failed. And it was just the pickup of the time. Holy crap. This goes on forever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's see. Let's see if we can you have to go through all of it. <laughs> well, I kind of want to, because you okay. know, it's, it's like, you, you know, here's the thing. I mean, um, your favorite one will be at the bottom. Maybe <laughs> uh, a, a greeny burst. I think we all kind of understand that one a little bit, you know, it's, yeah, so it, it's basically one of the pickups is a, essentially a PAF that's been rewound with the wrong kind of wire and by hand, and they're also out of phase with each other. And so yeah, <laughs> there you go. And the Bloomfield. Super Sessions. Uh, Fillmore Sound. Love it. Uh, th- that is just what you would think there. Just uh, Mike Bloomfield's burst sound. It uh, sound, sounds really nice to that twin reverb back there. Nails it. What's Mario's dream set? Okay, so the other author of my book, Mario Milan, who um, yeah. he, he's the more established author at the time he wrote that for sure. He's um, he writes for Guitar Magazine and uh, in Italy and uh, had written another book. That's the set that he had sort of come up with the concept for, where um, they're two different spools of wire, but the the coils are otherwise fairly similar, and it's an A4 uh, magnet in that one. So to just sort of break it down to basic like feel and EQ, um, it's a lower output set than the A4 PAF ones. Still very uh, woody, but a tighter and brighter version. Not not as chewy and thick and, and rich as complex as the uh, the PAF ones, but a little bit more of a, a brighter, tighter thing going on there. You ever think of making less pickups? Yes. The plan is probably to... Um, break down to about four or five humbucker sets that are stock just standard and they probably will be and i'll welcome feedback from you guys and anyone else here what they probably will be is the 57 the creme brulee the paf 1a4 and the 1960a5 i don't know if i want to do the 58 or not it might it might just be kind of and i think what i'm gonna do is those stock them so that there's less of a wait time those are the popular ones. And I think that if I had to go down to four, that would cover the widest range of ground. And then the other stuff's all going to be like special order. Right. You know, that makes sense. <clears throat> so that, oh, wait, can you guys hear me? All right. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, my video has gone like walking. Yeah. 15 seconds into like behind you guys for some reason, but as Where's long as you can, as long as you can hear me, that's you okay. you look good to me. Like your video is synced up with your audio. You disappeared for just a few seconds and then we're back. Okay. All right. Yeah, it looks yeah. fine. All right. No problem. Uh JDB set. John Dillo burst, or it could be John's dark burst. So John Dillo, hey John, if you're watching, it was a uh, an early customer of mine, super cool guy who used to come by my shop in Frederick all the time and just hang out and like real chill dude. And he has ls paul that has a problem which is not at all uncommon and that is that no matter what you put in it that neck pickup is mud and dark and oh yeah and the bridge sounds weak and thin and brittle and it it takes that i come across that in i don't know one out of every 
10 Gibson USAs and, and maybe one out of every 15 or 20 Gibson custom West balls. It's, it's not uncommon. And it's the, the muddy neck is probably the most common complaint I get from pickups, not from mine, but I mean like people calling looking for something. So that set addresses that. If you've got one of those problematic guitars that no matter what pickup you put in it, the neck is always muddy, it's chewy, and you think the guitar is just a dog and you want to get rid of it, that might fix it. Now, the downside there is that I can't sell you any sound of PAF that I offer and have it also address that problem. So we can address that problem successfully or if the guitar, if, if you don't like the sound of that, that type of set where you have a really bright neck and a really warm bridge to counter that acoustic nature of the guitar and bring it back into balance, well, then you might have a dog and maybe you need to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, probably, huh? Yeah. High offset humbuckers. I think this, yes, yeah, more single coil jangle, basically. There you go. That's exactly what it sounds um, like. The coil is much hotter and it, it does take a step in that direction of a single coil. That's not a PAF replica. Neither was the, the JDB set. Um, it's just uh, inspired by, but addresses a certain particular thing. If you want to do split coils, which, which I don't really like, but if you're one of those guys, you got to switch and you got to use it. Like if you're that, like that set will yeah. do it because you don't get a big drop in bass and volume when you switch to one coil if you use the hotter coil. So it's nice for that, but it's a compromise. That's always a compromise. You don't get a, you don't get a big fat, full, rich, thick humbucker sound in humbucker mode when you do that. So the VLO, very low output, and that's uh, it's a lower output version hmm. of the fifty sevens. Basically, it's 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 not a PAF replica either. It's kind of taking a PAF and then pushed it a little further into that extreme, uh, a little bit further than what you would find in range of a PAF there. So even even brighter than you would find in a real A3 PAF. Right. And then you have the VH Super Distortion. No, it's a Super Distinction, Dave. That oh, other name that you said Sorry. is owned by someone else. The Super <laughs> Distinction. I read too quickly. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely not that other thing you said. It certainly has nothing to do with that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, the uh, Ceramic Magnet Hex Pole type sure. of thing and that, that's one of the pickups that, that pete used in his his shootout and did a really great job with and i i love it it's one of my favorite uh non-paf sounds mm. different than the later super distortions or yeah the, so i'll just say the the earlier demarzio pickup super distortions had more variance between them and also sound different than today's and they use different parts too i mean i don't, I don't think that they're even using the thick ceramic magnets or the brass base plates today although i could be wrong i still use the brass base plates do they okay yeah, that's a demarzio thing i have a bin full of early square leg 70s ones and they don't even use the same kind of wire some of them are like a purple plain enamel some of them are <laughs> hvf and so they they do sound different. and uh i picked uh picked one that i thought captured that sound that that sunset 1978 sound and went with that and I, I think it came out well. It's got a little bit more clarity and a little bit more richness than what you might find in a typical modern similar style pickup. Right. And then, of course, the VH2. Yeah. That I'm one not... is... Uh, it's a hotter pickup. Um, that one's got an A2 in it. And I'm not married to the idea that that album had an A2 magnet. And I don't... 
I think it can work with it or without it. Kind of like we talked about earlier, different pot values and what speakers you may be. It, it's not necessarily there's several paths to the same destination, but there are several effective ways to approach a similar sound. And none of us are Ed. And oh. so it may or may not work. But I that pickup to me captured that sound. And so what that is, is it's essentially a PAF using a coil pattern that I found on a lot of early Santa Barbara pickups and, and PAFs that were repaired in the seventies in Santa Barbara. To, mm -hmm. If that covers what I'm trying to say. Yep. And basically the coil pattern that I see on those is a very tight and precise pattern that allows you to stuff in more wire than would otherwise fit in the bobbin. So it's not like anything magic. It's, it's a very, very full bobbin of wire mm. done by evenly. winding the coil precisely, evenly and tightly. Yeah. And so if you, it's kind of similar to the, that greeny pickup, it's a PAF that's been rewound. And that's, that's the sound I get there. Right. All and right. Well, that's a lot of pickups. So now we've confused everyone. Now let's go to the P90s and the Telecasters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll be here all night. Literally. Yeah. Um, I didn't Mark even go there. Humbuckers, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, strat pickups, hardware. We've got a question from Mark G. Uh, yes, James, when you are winding a new pickup set, do you prefer to eat chocolate or red velvet cake? Okay. Ah, it's a cake joke. Okay, yeah, that's a that's an inside thing from a Les Paul form, uh, my Les Paul form. So uh, wow. I, to be honest, I'm there, I don't know. There's a like a re ongoing revolving joke about cake there. Personally, I, I'm a pie guy. I, I I'm more like pie over cake. Not that I'll turn down a cake, but oh, see, cherry I, pie, I, apple pie. I get birthday pies rather than birthday cakes. Okay. Um, so how much how much are the pickups? How much do they cost? Uh, the, the humbucker sets start at six fifty. That's yeah. That's that's a boutique price. They're they're not the cheapest option. They're not the most expensive option. But I, you know, I don't I don't think that I, I the way I calculate my pricing is basically just my materials, my time to do it, and the amount of money necessary for me to just not do something else for a living. I, they're not for everybody and it, it just pricing is so personal and specific if it's if it's a lot of money or if it's not a lot of money it varies a lot from one person to another so they're just kind of priced what they are and you know it yeah uh, it, is, it is what it is yeah I'm, I'm not trying to tell anybody that like they sound three times better than a pickup that costs a third as much although they do but I don't really try to push anyone into that. They might not. It just depends. It's all case by case. And it's all in music. It's all preference too. Like what, what's better, what's worse. It's, it's very personal and subjective and highly right. dependent on, on other things. Right, right, right. Gotcha. So how'd you end up writing the book? Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's go to that. Touching back on DC resistance that we talked about a little bit earlier. I had written an article called The Misleading Nature of DC Resistance Regarding Guitar Pickups. And it was basically what we talked about earlier, saying how you might have a, 
a 9K pickup that is brighter sounding than a 7K pickup. But most folks are going to assume the opposite. And so it was just sort of an article explaining that, giving some examples of different coils and how you might end up in that situation where you've got low, <laughs> lower reading pickups that, that are warmer and fatter sounding than brighter than, uh, than higher reading pickups. Um, sorry, the other way around. Higher reading pickups that are brighter and fatter sounding than lower reading pickups. And that, Mar- Mario had found that article, Mario Milan, the other author of, of my PAF book, and reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I, I have this other book and do you want to collaborate? I like your writing style. And, and so we did. We worked on it. It took a couple of years and we got a, a lot of other industry guys involved. I, I didn't want it to be just like my opinion or my take on things. And so there's input from um, John Gundry and Bill Magella and, you know, other pickup winders, even uh, Mr. Dave Stevens. And I don't even agree with all of it, but the idea was to take a collection of information and about these things and put it out there. And we, um, we also got some contributions from the Gibson museum regarding photos and info. And as a huge plus, like the thing that I think is the coolest about that book is that when we went to the publisher with the final drafts um, and it's, it's Hal Leonard center stream, the music publisher that does a lot of the tablature and other guitar type books. The, um, the editor came back to Mario and said, Hey, I've had this, like in this interview sort of in my back pocket for a long time, waiting for the right place to put it And your book is the right place. And what that interview is, is it's the last interview that Ted McCarty, the CEO of Gibson during the burst years, had given before he passed. So oh, that's wow. published exclusively in that book, which I think is just so cool. <laughs> oh, cool. That is great. Uh, I understand Mario Milan is in the chat. Is that right? Hey, Mario, I love you, brother. Ciao. <clears throat> I don't see him, but someone mentioned, yeah, there he is. He said, can I say hello to James right there? Oh, wonderful. Hey, Mario. Grazie. Ciao. Very nice. Very cool. So where can people find that book? Because I was looking at Amazon and they have it for $388 there. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? It comes with one of my pickups at that price. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can go right to CenterStream. Anywhere that Hal Leonard or CenterStream books are sold. So Barnes & Noble, um, Amazon. I guess uh, the publisher might be out. They have been back ordered regularly. It's been a popular book. So They'll, they'll publish a batch and and then it gets sold out. And I think that's probably what must be happening to see that price on Amazon right now. But yeah, yeah you, you can buy them direct from Hal Leonard, go to their website and there's a, a shopping cart and a link there. You can buy it from the publisher. That's cool. That's very good. Um, let me see if there's other questions. Yeah, there happened to be um, a lot of pickup companies that popped up over the past few years. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been know, a lot of companies that have popped up, come and gone for a million years. True. You know? True. I'm surprised I'm still here. Like, <laughs> pickups, 12 years. You know, usually us pickup guys just take a lot of people's money and disappear or, or you know, start doing drugs or fall off the map in some way or another. It's not a, not a great reputation for reliability in my Yeah, industry. there's been a few of those that I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> have there been? I haven't run across any of those, but yeah. Thankfully, 
Uh, there was uh, so some guy uh, I remember a bunch of years ago. Pete had some pickups from uh, WB pickups or something. Wade Boggs Will, or something. Will Boggs, Will Boggs yeah. just <laughs> vanished. Yeah. So yeah. I got pickups of his to repair occasionally because he was, you know, another one of those like form sellers. And so he disappeared. And, and at some point I would get some coming back to me saying, hey, I got these and they never worked to begin with. And sometimes there was no wire on the bobbins or no magnet in it. I, I Now, other times, to, just to be fair, I've heard some like really nice sounding pickups of his. Um, Bill Landry has a, a really nice set. Mm-hmm. But I, I think uh, towards the end, he started falling apart and was just shipping out like anything in a box to make it happen. Because, I mean, some of these things never could have worked like without a magnet in it. It just it, it never could have worked. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's horrible. Yeah, a lot of there, there were a lot of guys who did that kind of stuff in the Van Halen building community. Uh, you know, they would build say, oh, I'm going to build you a guitar and then disappear disappear exactly or they or they you know you keep waiting for your guitar two years later it's a hard guitar to build that's why i didn't build that one that's you know i I build guitars but just to do the stripes right and to get like the things that are wrong right and in the guitar like that it's important to get the things that are wrong right it's i think it'd be easier in fact i i know it's easier to just build like a telly or a strat replica than to try and copy like any iteration of Oh yeah, it's tough. Your guitars, they're all like so unique that it's one of those things like we've done projects like that where you shine a projector with an image of what you want to copy down on the workbench. Like I did that for the um Greeny Burst pickups. I had a customer that wanted the covers aged just exactly as oh, they really? were in this one era. And so like that's a really rough cover. They're they're just really, really beat up. That's probably one of the most aged pickup covers i've ever looked at so yeah shine a projector down on the workbench and then kind of replicate that as it's shining onto the piece that's that's what you'd have to do i think to really get one of those van halen guitars exactly that that level of detail matters in that project and i didn't have the time for it so i bought mine (laughs) yeah i i I hired some i got somebody to build my 5150 because there's no way in hell i would have the patience to sit and relic that thing the way that they that they do What's your Explorer behind you, Mark? Is that a Destroyer? No, it's a it's a Gibson Explorer. Is it? Yeah, I, I wish I could find an. It's like finding a left-handed Destroyer. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. That <laughs> really hard. I've I've actually never seen an Ibanez, uh, any of those seventies, you know, copies from in lefty. Um, yeah. They're they're tough to find. Um, I'd like one like that. The, those look nice. Yeah, they're sweet. Yeah, they, you know they're really nice. Actually, Epiphone just came out with uh, their versions of the Explorer and the um, the Flying V. And, the, you know, in, oh, never mind. Sorry. What's it? What was that? Go ahead. No, in Karina, they were mm-hmm. you know, and but the Epiphone models are like thirteen ninety nine now. Oh really? Yeah, it's like. Wow, an Epiphone for thirteen ninety nine. Korean Korean Karina for that's what they say. Is it really Karina? But well, uh, what what was the uh, the the uh, destroyer was some other Karina looking wood, right? It it wasn't actually Karina. uh, Japanese uh, sen, Sen? Uh, right? Yeah, ash basically. Yeah, yeah. Pete's got one. Yeah, he does. He's got a great one. Yeah, that's cool. yeah. He's got a good one. 
Okay. It, it sounds great. That's a sound I don't have in my lineup of guitars that I'll have to address that at some point. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I have to say, I'm just going to call it out. I hate this comment. I really do. I, you know, I get it. Uh, no hate. I, I know, but it's, it's like, bro, that, you know, I didn't do it wrong because I, it's just what comes natural to you. You know, everybody, when you're playing an instrument, it's, there's no rules. Anybody who tells you that there's rules, they're wrong. There's no rules. As long as you're making it sound good and who gives a shit whether I'm playing it lefty or righty, um, it's, it's natural. That's the way it's just natural. I, I, when I did air guitar when I was 13 years old, I picked up a, a, a tennis racket and held it like a lefty, right? That's way before I ever picked up a guitar. Yeah. Um, it's just natural. That's just the way I play. We'll say uh, maybe you should have just played a right-handed guitar lefty and been like Eric, you know, like Eric Gale style. You know, I could have done that. Strong the opposite way and play the riffs opposite. Play, yeah, I could have done that. That's true. <laughs> uh, are you are you right-handed in other aspects? And you only only, only or are you southpaw all around? Only in sports. In sports. Um. So in sports, I I bat righty. I everything I do in sports is is righty, which is That's very strange. Yeah. Now, with with your guitar electronics, do you use the reverse taper pots and wire them up so that they turn? Um, I guess that would be counterclockwise to increase. Yes. Okay. Yep, I do that. So, I mean, I, I well, I don't necessarily buy reverse taper pots. I'll just buy a regular pot and I'll wire it backwards. Okay. Do you like the taper that way? I I, I ask because I have customers. Sometimes they just use them. They use a regular audio taper pot and wire it in a what would be a right-handed way, but put it in a lefty guitar. And then other guys actually want a, a reverse audio taper and wired up reverse of what you would put in a right hand. Yeah. I, you know, interesting. Um, I can do both. Yeah. I would roll off really quick if you, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Mm -hmm. The roll off, it just rolls off quicker. That's all. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we, it's so weird talking to you guys and out of sync. Like I can't even look at the camera. No. <laughs> it, it looks it's, good on my end. Okay, yeah, it looks fine on my end too. All right, cool. It's just so weird. Like I'm, you guys are not responding to me like visually. Um, so it's strange. Um, let's see what else we got. Yeah, someone said I never use audio taper for volume, only tone. Hmm. Thanks, hmm. Scott. It's yeah, I don't know. For lefty, I just always wired it differently you know backwards like put the lug lug to the to the pot yeah reverse you know one thing that gets overlooked a lot with taper of pots is that as you increase compression gain saturation you're squashing the taper and it changes so when people are like i don't like this taper because it responds this way it's like well into what because yeah the more compression you have the faster it's going to come on and then the less range of adjustment you'll have at the end. So, you know, if you're playing into like two metal zones stacked into a, a tube screamer into, a, you know, a Soldano, you almost have a switch instead of a pot. But if you're playing into that twin reverb back there, then it's an entirely different experience with the same guitar. Right. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I see I, that. Yep. I can see that. Um, 
The, someone wants to know, do you make lefty pickups? Yeah, I can wind them backwards. But if you're in Australia, you need to let me know because then I have to wind them backwards and also backwards and upside down. <laughs> and a day late. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, very cool. I'm just scrolling here. Uh, any other questions that you have, Dave? I think we covered a bunch of pickups. <laughs> yeah. So you make P90s. Oh, um, about, dude, then there's the whole Strat set thing, and that's a whole different story. Jesus, I didn't even look at this. Uh, there's got to be tons. Primarily, I'm making Gibson and Fender style pickups. Um, I've messed oh around with Filtertrons and Gretsch stuff too, but yeah, the, the One, big sellers two, are the... Three, four. Oh, you're looking at the tellies. Seven, seven Strat different strat eras oh the strats yeah i'm not even a strat guy i i appreciate guys that can play like i just can't get those sounds like jimmy and stevie out of a strat i they i make them sound awful i love them i keep a strat around i'm i'm building a couple mary case you didn't see them they're just sitting in my in my closet see i don't need to drink i can just inhale the nitro fumes but <laughs> well yeah yeah, I, I, I really wanted to do an, a Mary Kay burst. I just like that finish where it's like that, oh, beautiful. that that opaque white around the edges and then translucent in the center. Um, but yeah, I, I like strats. I like to just hit an open F chord and, and wiggle the bar and, and do it through you know one of the reverb amps and just take in that sound. But I can't get like a good rocking sound out of one just because it's me. I, I, I don't have it in me. A telly makes you fight it, but then it pays off. A strat makes me fight it, and it doesn't pay off with my hands. Yeah, I just I'm just not into a bridge strat pickup. I'm just not into it. It has to have a humbucker almost. Man, I had years ago. I had Lindy Fraylin wine me. I had a long time ago, early '90s. Wine me a, a metal base plated strat uh -huh. bridge pickup. And the prerequisite was I was, I said, make it as hot as you physically can with a certain wire. And it, it, it was a plain enamel wire. Okay. Not, not the form. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. It was a form bar wire. Okay. And uh, I don't remember what it wound to at the time. The form bar. I take don't more know space. what magnets it was either. So. But I think it was taking his uh, vintage hot uh, pickup and just winding more. And then I also had him kind of double wax dip it. Okay. So. But you didn't and, like it in the end? No, it sounded great. Oh, it did? Okay. It was yeah. awesome. Lindy's cool, man. Lindy. Yeah. I, I basically said, can you make a strap pickup that sounds a little more like a PAF? But this is before he did like the later things where, where, where it was like P90-ish strap pickups and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's really early on. A, a strap size format is hard to work in because there really just isn't a lot of room there. Yeah. If you, you want to get into using two coils, you know, that's when you get into those like little thin blades and very, very narrow coils. And yeah, just because man. no matter what you do with that pickup, it, it's in a narrow space. You're not getting a lot of harmonics. You're getting a lot of fundamental, and so it's always gonna sound kind of kind of stiff. I think it was good. Yeah, that's cool. 
Hey, John Martin, um, you bought that burst bucker off of me and, and you love it. Great. I'm glad to hear that um, from our vault show. And, uh, I, you know, I've sent out a bunch of stuff. I never heard from a bunch of people who I sent out the stuff to. So I assume you got it and you were happy. So um, and thanks, everybody who bought stuff from us. That was that was a fun show. We'll do it again. I still have the ricochet pedals. Do you still have the Jose? Yeah, I still have the Jose too. Oh, you still have the Jose. That didn't sell. <laughs> no. Well, it it could have sold, but not for the price I wanted. Uh there you so. go. Yeah. 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 And uh the, the two people that said they were buying the two ricochet pedals both backed out. Oh wow. Weak. And of course, even emailing them a hundred times, just go, could you just let me know you don't want it? Yeah. Still no response. I know. I, I had the same thing. I had the same thing with I one mean, of my... I, I don't care that you don't want it. I don't care at all that you don't want it. I, I just, just would like me. to know you don't want it because I think probably there it was there might have been some other people that you know could have offered it to at the time. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, Joe, uh, Fraylin's work is outstanding. I've always liked uh, Lindy's stuff too. So he, and he's a, and he's a nice, super nice guy. So super nice. Yeah, he was like the you know the the grandfather of the well, not Duncan, I guess would be, but of boutique pickups. Fraylin probably was. He was right across the river from me when at my first yeah. shop location in Frederick, Maryland. And so we had a lot of similar customers and he did work for shops that I worked for. Always had great results. You know, very, oh, yeah. Maybe like very timely time. service, very fair price and, and good mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Really good stuff. Awesome. Well, look, James, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank yeah, you for having me. My goodness. Yeah. I'm no, it's, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, awesome to get to know you and learn learn about not only you an author, but you're also uh, got great uh you know great products to to look at and, and to purchase. So definitely, guys, check out his website. And uh, again, it's a Rewind Electric, and um, and also check out Sweetwater. And uh, oh, I want to give a shout out. I'm going to be on a um, there's a, a podcast. Uh, it's a YouTube show. Uh, and also a podcast called the Rock and Roll Research Podcast. Um, I saw this through through my industry that I work in. Um, that another researcher uh, in the healthcare industry uh, has a rock and roll podcast. Oh, so cool. I, yeah, so I wrote him. I said, "Hey, you, yeah, that's that's so cool. Uh, another person in my industry doing this." So. Um, so he invited me to come on his show, which was fantastic. So I, I said, I'd love to, so I'll get a chance to talk about my career a little bit. So guys check out his, um, this guy's show, uh, his name is Matt and, uh, it's a rock and roll podcast, uh, and rock and roll research podcast on YouTube. So check that out. I'll be on awesome. that in the next few weeks. So, and then we have to book our next guest. I think Dave and I, will, our next show will be, uh, probably an ask Dave show. We'll probably do that in the next couple of weeks. Very cool. Always learn a lot on those. Uh, oh, hey, for for your uh, your viewers, I, I made a show, made a shirt here. Sorry, I'm not Cantrell. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see the back? Sure. I don't know. Can you see it there? <laughs> also, not Mars. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, guys. That's awesome. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Great. That is great. <laughs> um, Jim Cox has a question. Uh, some art auctions I watch make folks send PayPal before the show ends and they can't bid on other items until it's paid. What is that? It's mean? hard to keep up, man. Oh, I guess he's referring to the um, paying the, the, the auction yeah. show with the gear that you guys did. Yeah. Oh, the the sale, the gear sell off. Oh yeah. No, we're not going to make. Uh, you know, I, I it's going to be real, like just the way we did it before. So it's easier that way. Uh, and then TKT Audio says, seriously, James' pickups are so good, I don't want you to go buy them because the more backlog he gets, the harder it is for me to buy more. But if you want to be blown away, rewind pickups. Very we, cool. We've had, we've had backlog issues, but um, part of what I mentioned earlier about breaking down things into four or so core sets and then having other stuff of special order is going to greatly reduce that. Right. And I appreciate everyone who's had patience with with me. I'm I am essentially a one man show, and I definitely have taken on a lot more than I can handle in some ways. But we're getting through. <laughs> we're getting and through. now. Unfortunately, you have more. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, keep, keep them coming because I know a guy with the Jose that might look nice over there. Oh boy. <laughs> uh joe alba uh mark i'm in the software consultant industry with experience with ehr work we got to be in the field to pay for our guitar gear hobby that is for sure that is for sure if i was going to rely on the youtube show i would be homeless and have a lot of gear so um <laughs> i wouldn't but yeah i wouldn't i would not be able to pay for much if i just counted on the show um Hey Joe, reach out to me. By the way, uh, I like to hear more about what you what you do. So that'd be cool. Uh, James, again, thanks so much for coming thanks on. The so show. much. Oh, and, thank you guys so much. Truly an honor. I mean that. Yeah, no problem, no problem. And uh, again, guys, check out Sweetwater. Check out fixpedalboards.com and follow our Facebook page and uh, Instagram. I'm on Click Instagram. Subscribe if you and haven't. Yes, click subscribe and the like button and all that stuff. Also, I've been doing uh, shorts of the show um, and kind of some, some special features. Like I did a tour of my my room here uh, recently. Um, so check out, you know, make sure you subscribe and you'll get, get to see some of these, you know, kind of newer content that I'm doing. And Dave's going to also send me uh, some videos also, some short videos that I can upload, like a tour of maybe his studio and stuff like that. Yep. I just got to remember to do it. Yep. Yep. No problem. <laughs> I'll, I'll remind you. Um, all right, guys. Have a great weekend. All right. See you guys later. Yep. James, just hang on one second while we say goodbye. Gotcha. <laughs>